Welcome to the quarter to three games podcast for super late September, almost October 2016. My name is Tom Chick, and my game of the week is not, uh, oh shoot, I'm ill prepared for this, is not uh, Doom. And I'm Chris Markerson, and my game of the week is not Sid Meier's Conflict in Vietnam. Is there really such a thing? Oh, yes, yeah, for the Commodore. What? Yes, came out in the, I guess, mid-80s. It's, it's, it had five or six scenarios. One of them is actually a Dien Bien Phu scenario, where you can play either as the French or the, uh, the Vietnamese uh, attacking the, all the bases. And it's just like a, a, like a, a war game? Yeah. Like moving chips stuff? Oh, well, it, no, it's an actual PC, uh, or no, well, PC. Uh, comp- no, no, that's what yeah. I meant. But, oh, yeah. but you're just like based, units around yeah. that? Wow. Turn-based, it had seven, or no, six different scenarios. Uh, it had like the Tet Offensive... Um, one in the in the valley, and there's two others, I believe. One was a hypothetical as well. Wow, because that that's how it was. Guys like that that actually got me into. I'm not a super big war gamer, but it was always things like that. And I don't remember that one specifically, but things like that where I was looking for like a new computer game, and the only thing available would be something called Mech Brigade. I don't know the first thing about that, but it's a new computer game. I'll play mm-hmm. it, and I end up playing a war game about you know the Folda Gap or, or something like that. So I, did, I'm, I was not aware that Sid Meier had, had a Vietnam game. Very cool find. Well, and it was back in the day when they had manuals again, eh? So, you know, I, I'm a kid. I'd just devour the manual. It had stuff on history mm-hmm. on each of the scenarios, so you'd read that over and over and over again. Chris, I, I can tell we're definitely old school. <laughs> We've got a lot to talk about here. I can also tell right off the bat, I don't know if you Canadians hate this, that you're Canadian. You said the word out. And I was like, yep, he's Canadian. Does that bother you that us Americans can suss you out so easily? You know, when I say Americans, I, I, it is so goofy to me that when people say America, they don't realize that means Canada, Mexico. It, it means Argentina. <laughs> like, uh, but does it bother you that us uh, United States of Americans can suss out you Canadians so easily? I didn't say out differently. Yeah, you did. You totally did. No. That's it. I guess. I guess you don't even hear it, which makes it even easier for us to suss you out. You don't even know you're doing what? it. No, say uh, out. 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 I know. Exactly. Thank you for just making my point, Chris Markinson. You're doing a fantastic job. Uh, that was like. I don't know if this is true, but I remember hearing this canard that um, in Japanese, in maybe this is even from a movie or Hogan's Heroes or something. But I remember hearing that in uh, like. Uh, Japanese uh, prisoners of war during World War II, uh, they would communicate with each other through the walls using like Morse code and stuff. And to make sure that the Japanese weren't spying on them, because they couldn't see face to face who they were talking to, they would do that shave and a haircut plus two, like that. Uh, I don't even dun, know. Dun, 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 dun. Exactly. They would do that to each other because the Japanese couldn't quite get the rhythm of it down correctly. <laughs> Again, I don't know if that's true, but you just made me think of, uh, like, that's something like the way you Canadians say oot. Uh, so so don't, don't, become, don't try to infiltrate the United States, Chris Markinson. It will not work. We're on to you. Uh, uh, so uh, you, have, you, you were uh, born and raised in Manitoba, a city called Winnipeg. Uh, when we, before we started recording, you were going to do a voice test for me. Oh. I want you to just roll into this. I want you to go ahead and do it. Because then I, I want to talk some about this and why you know how to do what you're about to do. Oh. So Chris Markinson, 
hit us with some serious verbiage. The whole thing? As much as you got. Oh, you dear. Got okay. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the McPhillip Street Station Evening Bingo Program. Your first 49 numbers for your bonanza have been pre-called, and they are as follows. B, 2, 4, 6, 7, 9, 11, 12, 15, I, 17, 19, 21, 25, 26, 28, 29, 30, N, 31, 32, 34, 35, 38, 41, 42, 43, 45. Okay. Chris Markinson, what are you doing and why do you know how to do it? Uh, for about a year and a half, I was a bingo caller when I worked, uh, for part of the time that I worked at uh, a casino. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, so a casino, I think of you know Vegas. It's glitzy. It's a little tiny pocket where gambling is allowed, and nowhere else. Uh, what is gambling like? What are casinos like up there in Manitoba? They're not quite as glitzy, and we're definitely not Vegas. Uh, these would be our casinos would be uh, off the strip casinos in Vegas, uh, mm-hmm. the ones that the locals visit. Where Winnipeg isn't much of a tourist destination. So, you know, things aren't immaculate or kept super, super clean at times. Um, but I worked at a casino from 94 until 2011. Whoa, whoa. When you said before you, wow, yeah, you sort of ran through the list of the different things you had done at the casino. It didn't, Chris, that's like a career. <laughs> yeah, well, and it, it was supposed to be just a little job that I had when I was going to school, but it sort uh-huh. of morphed into more than that. Talk me through this. So how did it progress? I know you said you, you started out, uh, actually was calling bingo early on? Yes. Uh, or is well, that a late? First I started uh, in Kocheck, uh, making $6.39 an hour, which was like a buck thirty nine more than minimum wage. I thought I was, I was, I was rich at that time. <laughs> All right. Uh, but yeah, I did Kocheck for about a year, and then I moved into bingo calling. Now on the good side, I, I was a pretty decent worker as a, in Kocheck, so they mm-hmm. didn't ask me to do a voice test. Otherwise, they probably would never have hired me as a bingo caller. But Now, bingo calling is not like radio announcing. Uh, I mean, I appreciate what you're saying, but you totally, that thing that you rattled off, you obviously know what you were doing. That sounded convincing. I was ready to get out my markers. Uh, I'm not the least bit surprised that they had you as a bingo caller for a while. Now, how, how long did that go on? Was that just a brief stint? Uh, that was about a year and a half to two years that I was a bingo caller. And then I moved... Now... Oh, go ahead. R- real quick, with the bingo calling... Uh, I don't know if you saw this movie, but I'm thinking of a recent movie with someone named Henry Rollins that had a great bingo sequence. You know what I'm talking about? Have you seen it? I haven't seen it, but I did comment <sighs> on it in the uh, yeah. comment section. So He Never Died is uh, a, a, a really cool Henry Rollins movie, and bingo figures into it somewhat prominently. So, Chris Markinson, I'll never be able to watch that movie without thinking of you now. Uh, so, bingo, we think here in the U.S., because I don't, I don't, like, bingo in the U.S. isn't considered gambling i don't think because you do it in churches little old ladies can do it uh in in any place but it's considered gambling well it it is and isn't uh there are a ton of community bingos within winnipeg and the greater province of manitoba so there are mm-hmm. church groups uh, but it's a non-profit it's strictly non-profits that can run bingos uh they can't run it for any profit unless they're uh us the lotteries corporation we're the only ones who can run it for a profit Everyone else who runs a bingo has to do it uh, for a charitable cause, be it a church group or someone who uh, a charity uh, running it. Now, uh, we also have this stereotype of it's just little old ladies playing bingo, which is part of the humor of the scenes and he he never died. Uh, What is that like? So there's a casino. There are obviously like slot machines and card games. What kind of people turn out for bingo in Winnipeg? 
Well, you know what? It, it does tend to skew older. Uh, that's for sure. And it's, I would say, probably 70, 30, 80, 20 uh, female to male. It, it's, it's, okay. it's definitely a game where there isn't nearly as many guys playing as there are women playing. Do people, like some people playing cards might have, like might be friendly with a dealer or might know certain dealers. Like, did people get to know you and you got to know people, or is it just way more impersonal than that? Oh, no, no, you definitely, because when you weren't calling, you'd be on the floor checking paper bingos as well. So, and you'd be... Oh, like when someone calls bingo, you have to go verify that they got bingo? Yeah, you'd go over to their uh, table, you'd take their card, read the... Uh, every card would have a certain number on it, so you'd say, checking card, 27165. The caller would mm-hmm. put that into the system, the system would show up a card on a big... Uh, they had 25 small little TVs to make one big image... It would show up mm-hmm. that the bingo was good. Then you'd go get their money, walk back to their table, and pay it out. So, yeah, they'd get to know you. Uh, and they'd also scream at you when you would make a mistake calling. Well, that's what I wanted to ask. First of all, is did you ever have any Steve Harvey moments where you screwed up and said the wrong number or something? And second of all, how often would people screw up their cards and you would have to check and say, no, sorry, you screwed up, sir or ma'am. This isn't a winning card. Tell me about some of the mistakes that happen when you're calling bingo or checking people's cards. Uh, uh, Some of the mistakes are you can hit the wrong number and then not realize it, and no one else seems to realize it for a little while, and you can get 15 or 20 numbers in, or heaven forbid someone actually has a bingo on the wrong number, then it's Mm -hmm. a a big kerfuffle. You wind up having to pay out both the winner with the wrong number and then uncall those numbers and then uh, ah. Call them correctly, and then you, if you have other bingos, then you're having to pay them out. So it can cost the casino a couple of bucks. Ah, so the mistake is to the benefit of the folks coming in to play bingo. Yes, I generally we realize. try okay. to make sure that if we make the mistake, it's not it's not the customer that's paying for it. And is that something? Have you like obviously it's got to happen at least a few times? But did that happen frequently to you? Uh, did you? No. Did, it, are you? It's happened to me. It happened to me several times. I mean, one time I when I was young i didn't handle it very well uh someone put the wrong prize up and saying you know like your say your lucky seven is uh uh you know eighteen hundred dollars in 21 numbers less when in fact it was only twelve hundred dollars and when i said that i said sorry ladies and gentlemen some idiot put up the wrong number Uh, one of the big bosses heard that and wasn't very impressed with that so i got a week off unpaid (laughs) for that Oh wow! Yes, wow. It's it's like a it's like administrative leave during a police shooting. Yes, or something. indeed, indeed. So, but really, Chris, like numbers like twelve hundred, eighteen hundred dollars. Oh well, I you know one of the cool things. Uh, I'll jump ahead a little bit. Is when I became a, a supervisor in the bingo area. Is we had this one game that was very hard to get a bingo, and you had to have a full card, which is all twenty four numbers plus the free space blanked out in forty nine forty nine numbers or less. And that's pretty, actually pretty difficult to get. So this jackpot grew from 5000 to $546,000. So, <laughs> so I actually got to hand a person a check uh, for $536,000 and then pay them out $10,000 in cash. That's a pretty cool feeling. Wow. Who did you hand it to? Can you describe the person? How did they react? How does someone react winning well, you know what? half a million dollars at well, they were. What happens is they, they get like shell-shocked almost, right? They're, they're really excited, mm. and then they just... They're sort of, you can see that they're kind of in a fog, you know, because they don't know how to react after that. Because for giving away some money like that, we have a lot of checks in place to make sure that, you know, nothing untoward has happened. There is no collusion or anything like that. Uh, So during that time, you know, we we take them off to the side. uh, You know, we'll give them uh, free coffee, free drinks from McDonald's because there's a McDonald's in our casino. (laughs) Classy as can be. (laughs) 
And and then just sort of, yeah, go ahead. And then, you know, after about, it takes a good 15 or 20 minutes, we'll pull them up to the area where they pay out the bingos. Uh, they'll be standing there. You get to hand them a check and see their eyes light up and a big smile on their face. And then lay out, and they can take, we allow people to take up to $10,000 in cash, physical cash. We, we right. encourage them not to because if you've got a check, you don't have to worry about it if someone tries to rob you. Give them the check. Right. It's not going to get right. cash for that much money. Uh, but uh, and, and do you remember specifically who made the five hundred thousand? Uh, it was a lady, I would guess, probably late forties. I would say uh, First Nations, and she was just super pleased, super happy. So it was a, It's one of those things that you know. Sometimes seeing folks gambling and not doing well and showing up maybe or maybe spending more than what is just for entertainment can leave you feeling mm-hmm. down. But moments like that. It really put a smile on your face because, you know, that, that's, that's the reason why people go to the casino, right? That's, that's life-altering money, at least a little bit, right? Yeah, yeah. Now, I'm, uh, I'm curious if you remember whether or not this woman keep – did she keep coming back playing bingo or does she just uh, – is she done with it at that point? I mean, I guess it doesn't really matter. It's her entertainment. She probably keeps playing. Yeah, it's not she like did she's... come back. That's for sure, yeah. yeah. Generally, even uh, when folks win in other games fairly big, they will, they will come back. They might not come back for a while. Because, you know, maybe they're going on a trip or something after that. Right, right. But uh, they, they will come back and play. But, you know, i got no problem with that as long as everyone's playing within their means. Yeah, yeah. And it's not like, uh, like in bingo, it's not like you choose the stakes, right? Like you buy a card at a certain rate. It's not like you can put it all on black or something, like with, with roulette or something. Exactly, yes. Yeah, you're, you're buying in for a session. You, you generally know what the prizes are going to be. Uh, so, yeah, it's a very fixed thing, right. and it's... Uh, in terms, it's not like a slot machine where, you know, in 30 minutes you could drop several hundred dollars. For bingo, right, you know, right. you, you're usually buying a book and one of all the special games and, you know, maybe two of one special if it's high, whatever. But your your spend is much less and much more controlled. Right. Now, now Chris, you said something that I, I want to ask you about because I love that Canadians have this term. And I don't think I've ever heard it uh, on this side of the border. Uh, you described this woman as First Nation. Uh, what does that mean? Uh, well, First Nations would be the equivalent of Indi- American Indians in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I I love how precise that is too, because in the U.S., like sometimes, like American Indian is premised on this idea that that we thought we had found a passage to India. No, it was it was America. So that's kind of this weird holdout. And even Native American is kind of weird because. Uh, you know, I'm a Native American. I was born here in in, in America. Uh, I love calling uh, American Indians First Nations. Like that's such a that, that's such a kind of a respectful way to acknowledge the that person's place in in our heritage. Uh, and I just remember encountering that that term when I was in Canada and thinking, Wow, that's we should use that in the U.S. That is really cool. It's using First Nations. Uh, well, so, and that's one of the big things is is why First Nations, and that's to acknowledge the fact, you know, that they were here first, kind of thing, yeah. you know, and and the Europeans had come later to the party. Yeah, without making it premised on where you're born or this silly mistake that we thought we had landed in India exactly in, instead, of, instead of a new continent. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, also, so, so after calling bingo. I can't imagine that anything else you did at the casino was as cool. Like you mentioned, you became a supervisor. Like, did anything get cooler than? Sounds cool to me, but did anything get cooler for you than than being a bingo caller? No, no, definitely that would be yeah. uh, the coolest and the time that I enjoyed working the most. 
as well. Right. I wasn't making a heck of a lot, but I it was, it was really fun to come into work and be able to do that and pal around with, with the other callers on the floor when you weren't calling. Right. Now, uh, you do, like, you're a professional computer nerd these days. You do, like, kind of IT stuff. Do you ever miss the casino? Like that job? Yes, I do. Yeah. Uh, you know what? If, if, if it paid more, I would be there and not in IT. Mm-hmm. Do you go to the casino? No, never. I will never. Why not? Um, because for the most part, there aren't many games that can change your life. You know, you're playing to win $1,000 or, you know, $5,000. And that's nice, and it might change your week, but it's not changing your life, and you're going to lose. You're, 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 there's, it's the, the, the woman who won that half a million dollars, and no one else won. And that special ran for 13 months before it went. So there's a lot of people that didn't win. Uh, if you go to the casino, you're not going to win. If you play these games, like, I play the lottery when it gets to 50 million, 60 million, but I'm not going to win. I understand that I am throwing my money away. Now, I'm glad people do that because it gives me a job and allows me to, <laughs> to live a comfortable life. But, uh, yeah, I mean, if you're doing it for entertainment, that's great. But for me, that's not entertainment. I'd rather go uh, to a movie, experience uh, two hours of culture and what the current cultural zeitgeist is and, and get all of that or buy a game and see what people are doing and, and how, you know, what people are thinking of when they made that game and how that's reflected in the game. Because, Chris, I, yeah, I, I think, like, you and I both love video games as part of our, our growing up. Uh, the, the games that are offered in casinos, like gambling, where, as you say, like, mathematically, you're going to lose. The game is only being played at a casino because the casino knows the odds are in their favor. Why would you want to play a game that is intentionally stacked against you for commercial purposes? Uh, the mechanics of, of most gambling don't really appeal to me. And certainly the mechanics of risking real-world money. Like, I could maybe understand poker uh, as far as, like, the odds and the bluffing element, the psychological element of it. But I don't, I don't, I have no desire to throw real-world money into my entertainment like that. Like, I, I find games entertainment. Uh, so even if it was something that had richer mechanics like poker, just not interested in gambling and in casinos. Yeah, uh, you know, when I, when I was young... People losing didn't bother me as much, but I had an experience where I was on the floor and I had a lady just tear a strip off me, telling me how much the games were fixed and, you know, this is unfair and this is unjust and you're criminals. And she must have gone on for a couple minutes and then she went and put money back into the machine. And I realized uh, yep. at that point in time that some, some of our, our folks that we have that go to the casino aren't able to make a rational decision on this. And it, it, that's the that's the stuff where you kind of it gets me down when I think about it a bit too much. And it reminds me too of the discussions that are relevant in video gaming about things like like micropayments and free to play games, uh, and how they have a kind of a predatory business model where they make most of their money from uh, preying on people's poor impulse control. Yeah, and gambling is the same thing. Yeah, and, I, and I, you know, and I realize that like with it being uh, a crown corporation, which is, uh, essentially means that the government runs the casinos and all gaming within the province that that money is then going to education, health care, uh, lots of good things that do help people. Ah, it, it's right. still, you know, it, it's sometimes it's a high price to pay for for those benefits. So I, I understand the good and the bad there, but sometimes it, it, it just kind of gets me a little bit. Once again, you used another term I want to ask you about. I hadn't heard this one before. 
Crown Corporation? So a Crown Corporation, uh, you'd never have that in the, or you wouldn't have that very often in the U.S. Uh, I think the U.S. has uh, not nationalized anything uh, for the most part. It's, it's generally privately owned. But for in most of Canada, you'll find in all the provinces that the government either runs or they regulate uh, alcohol and gambling. And, and those are technically referred to, the term for that is Crown Corporation? Yes. Yeah, and Chris, you you people are still so hung up with the, your monarchy system. Well, why did you not just go over to democracy, like in civilization? You convert your government system. It, You're still so preoccupied with this queen. It is weird that we are a constitutional monarchy. That we, in theory, you know, the governor general must approve every law that's passed, giving the queen's assent to the law. I have a serious question for you. Are you going to be sad when the queen dies? Uh. Well, I'll be sad that anyone has passed away, of course, uh, but sad that a monarch has passed away? No, 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 not at all. Okay. Because, you know, that's going to be a huge deal. Oh, it'll be huge because there'll be a new cor- uh, coronation, and I assume it's not going to be Charles that gets coronated. Wait, who's going to get coronated? I assume it'll be his son. Why are they skipping well, him? I'm so out of the loop with the the, uh, the British monarchy. I just Why would it- assume that if... She wanted him to be king. She would have abdicated by now because she's, uh, what, almost 100 now. I would have thought that if she felt that her son was was ready to be king, she would have allowed him to be so. Wouldn't it? I mean, I, it's no Game of Thrones thing anymore, but I would think <laughs> if she dies, why would why would Prince Charles just say, eh, I'm going to sit out, my son, you take. What's his son's name, by the way? Is it Harry? Yeah, well, he's got two, I think. I don't know. One of them is Harry, Ooh. and I'm not sure who the other is. Although I don't think... Oh, so... I- do they have, like, like, is there some, like, uncomfortable dynamic where the older one, like an Edmund Edgar thing, like in, in King Lear? I don't think it's going to lead to a secession crisis, uh, but it's just, it's one of those things where, yeah, cause he's got two sons, so I think the, o- the oldest is the one who will uh, ascend to the throne, I believe. And he's just going to skip dad, just Prince Charles is okay with that? I just, just I like, think eh. that's what's going to happen. Again, I don't know, of course, until the, the queen uh, passes on, but uh, that would be my bet. You know, I thought we had all the excitement over here in our, uh, not a, a monarchical issue, but in our, our presidential election. You guys have stuff going on there. Well, I didn't realize all that drama. I mean, well, that's, don't, I just thought, yeah. that's, that's, that's drama for England. But again, the, the queen passing on and who, who ascends to the throne isn't going to end the world. The American election could result in the end of the world. Very good point. Very good point. Uh, so what, what is your perspective living up there in uh, Winnipeg? You, you mentioned you're, you're two hours north of the border, which kind of screws up something I'd once heard about Canada. And that's – I don't remember the precise numbers. But there's something about Canada where, oh, 90% of the population lives within five miles of the U.S. border. Uh, so apparently there are cities farther up north there. Uh, from that far away, it, explain to me what you guys think about what's going on over here in the U.S. Oh, it's so country. scary. So scary. Yeah. I mean, you'll have some people that uh, – are obviously well. I, I I can only assume that their their moms must have drank or smoked when they were pregnant because they support Trump, and I don't understand that at all. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I, it's, it's terrifying. Clinton is one scandal away or one mix up away from potentially losing this election. And how is it even that close? It doesn't make any sense. So that's that's the narrative, sort of the the, the people there are getting that it's super close and that she could that it's that she could lose. Yes. Okay. Because uh, I don't think I don't think that I that's way more dramatic, but I don't, there's no danger. Of that. Well, I uh, hope it, you're right, Tom, but I don't know. You're an optimist. 
You're an optimist. No, I know math. <laughs> it's, as, I, as I've said before, it's, uh, you know, if you were looking at it as a popularity contest, in which, by the way, only half of the country is counted, because you know, a quarter of our population is under 18, they can't vote. Another quarter of our population are idiots because they haven't <laughs> registered to vote. So when you're looking at things like, oh, it's neck and neck, it's 49% to 51%, that's, that's literally only counting. You know, the electorate is, is half of the people in this country. So really, the, the people whose mothers smoked and drank and dropped them on their heads and made them dumb racists, at most, it's a quarter of the country. I mean, maybe there's more of them, but as far as the ones that are technically like, yeah, I'm going to pull the lever for Trump, that's just a quarter of the people over here. And more importantly, it's where they live and how our elections work, which might seem a little esoteric to those of you who are just, hey, one king dies, the next one comes in. We have something a little more complicated, kind of like a strategy game with this electoral college system. If you look at those numbers, it's, it's done. She, he's, she's not going to lose. I mean, it's, uh, there's really short of California falling into the ocean and, and 55 electoral votes going just removed from the equation. This election is not a close election. This election is over. I hope- Donald Trump. Is, is not going to win the election. You can tell everyone in Canada I said that. <laughs> I hope you're right. Like a, but my fear is, again, she's going to say something, and all of a sudden some of these swing states that have you know, a significant enough uh, amount of electoral college votes are going to switch over. Uh, it's, just, sure. it, it's terrifying. Well, if, she, if it's whatever she says it's going to do that, it's going to have to switch over like, like four of the swing states. I mean, it's not mm-hmm. just a matter of a tipping point. She's going to have to basically say... I support the Nazi party in World War II. She's going to basically have to, we're going to have to, uh, she's going to have to show, share pictures of her secret shrine to Hitler uh, in order for something like that to come about. So, but by the way, everything I'm telling you, Chris Markinson, don't tell anyone in the United States I'm saying this because I want them all to vote. So it, those of you in the United States listening to this podcast, oh my God, it's so close. Trump is on the verge of being the president of the United States. What are we going to do? That's my official statement to those unions, especially if you live in North Carolina, Ohio, Florida, Pennsylvania. Uh, pay attention to what I just said. Trump's going to be president. Better do something about it. Uh, well, so. it'll be interesting to see if this is the end of a two-party system or what happens to the Republicans after this election either way. Right. And I, I don't know. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Like, I, I think we're pretty entrenched with the two-party system, but I, I do think the Republicans are going to have to evolve or more or give way to another party or, yeah, I, it will be very interesting to see. Uh-huh. Markinson, I want to ask you about something else up there uh, in Winnipeg. Uh, you, you said you don't, you don't have to drive there. There's good public transportation. You mentioned that you had, and I don't want to get you put on any watch lists or anything. You mentioned a border incident because you only had like a temp license. Chris Markinson, were you ever trying to like illegally immigrate here or something? Do we need to know something about you or maybe build a wall or something? What, what, what was that? You just mentioned it briefly like you thought I wasn't going to notice. I noticed Explain what you were talking about. Well, it wasn't me accosting anyone in a movie theater, thankfully. But uh, mm-hmm. uh, so I don't know what that. Wait, I don't know what that was a reference to. I think you, I think you were supposed to have gotten in a dig at me that I didn't understand. No, no, it was me. It was me. I, I posted about it before. About accosting someone in a movie yes. theater. What? What? About what? Well, what story do you want? Uh, first of all, the movie theater. One. Okay. Um, so for Hitman, Agent Forty Seven, I right. went to go see a matinee. And so, uh, because of these guys who have a movie podcast, uh, I've gotten into not watching trailers either. So I'll go into right. the movie and I'll put my fingers in my ears during the trailer, close my eyes, and 
once the movie starts, okay, then, you know, I'm ready to go. So the minute the movie starts, I start hearing squeaking in the theater. Now, this is a big theater. Oh, I remember. I know what you're talking about. Go ahead. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. This is like a 400-seat theater. So it's huge. And it's a matinee on a Saturday. There's maybe 25 people in the theater. And the squeaking starts in five minutes, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, one hour. And the squeaking doesn't stop. Like for every every minute of of movie, you're getting like 45 seconds uh, of squeaking. So obviously, and you could move anywhere if you wanted to. So obviously, the person is just being a jerk, and it's someone sitting in the very back row. And uh, you know, I've been in theaters where people have used their phones, where people have kicked my chair, where people are talking, and I've just let it go. You know, just no, let bygones be bygones, right? Not today. I don't know what it was, but today I reached down and I found a pair. I shot up out of my chair. I bounded up the twelve or thirteen steps. I got to the top row, and even when I was doing this, I realized I'm going to get punched out. Like there, there's, <laughs> there's, I am not going to be polite about this. I'm not going to be an upstanding citizen about this. I'm going to be a complete jerk, because this is obviously a jerk that I'm dealing with. But I'm like 5'7", even on my best days. I, I'm not threatening anyone. Maybe kids who might think I'm stealing their pizza. That's about it. <laughs> so I bound up to these steps. I take my cap off. I wave it in this guy's face, and I say, hello hello, can you stop that, please? And as I'm saying that, I'm looking at this guy who's looking at me wondering, what the heck is going on? Now, from the left arm of his chair, something is attached to it, and it's coming out to in front of him, and it's on one of those like cable things you know, where you can move it around however you want, like mm-hmm. you would with, a, say, a, a lamp, a desktop lamp. Mm-hmm. And it's a little ovular thing that it's connected to for subtitles. For the hearing impaired. And then I'm seeing this, and why is this sheet, uh, why is this seat squeaking? Because the guy's also shaky as well. He also has a physical disability. Mm-hmm. So I just accosted a, a man who has a physical disability and hearing impaired. And this is all hitting me, like right, right then and there, right? So what do you do? Because, you know, I've sort of made a scene. So, you know, I, I'm. I, I'm a man. I did what any man would do. I ran back to my seat. I slumped down as far as I could go, <laughs> prayed for the ceiling to collapse and kill me. And I'll bet uh, the whole way down, this is just reflexive. I know a Canadian. You're going, sorry, sorry, sorry. Oh, Tom, it was so bad. So bad. I, can, I was with a friend. And I convinced him, let, let's stay and watch the credits. And the guy could barely make it down the stairs. Oh, it was so bad, Tom. I felt so horrible. But it, it made the old saying true, right? It takes a big man to stand up to another man, but it takes an even bigger man to stand up to a man who can barely stand up. <laughs> I've never heard that say. I'm sure it's a saying. I'm sure it's a saying. And then, and that guy, that guy's probably somewhere right now telling the story about the time this jerk in the movie theater made fun oh, of him. Oh yeah, no, it's, yeah, it's so yeah. bad. And then I, 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 even two days afterwards, I, I went and donated twenty five dollars to the Manitoba League of Persons with Disability. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. I think you more than made up for it. Then, so. Isn't it funny, though, how you always remember in a, in a moment like that, you always remember exactly the movie you were in. It kind of colors your memory. Like the closest I've ever gotten to getting into a fight, because I will routinely say, you know, sir, that's distracting. Please don't check your phone. Or could you please wait until the, after the movie to talk? I do that all the time. And only once really have I, have I gotten close to getting into a fight. And I distinctly remember it was during that uh, Jeremy Renner, Jason Bourne movie. Oh, okay. And I remember uh, yelling at someone to quiet a baby. And, and, uh, 
Like, I, I remember all the times that I remember Dingus, my friend Christian, once uh, being being reprimanded in uh, the Hobbit movie. Like, I, I always remember specifically the movie when something embarrassing like that happens, uh, and it will always color now your recollection of Age of 47. Oh, for sure, uh, for sure. Now, don't think you're deflecting from whatever border incident was involved because we care about immigration here in the United States. <laughs> what did you try to do to us? Okay, well, so this would have been in 96 or 97. Okay, so pre-9-11, yes, that's important. It's very important. Okay. So uh, back then, you could go down to the U.S. and you could buy satellite dishes and you could bring them back to Canada and you could pirate the satellite signal. Mm-hmm. Not that I would ever do that, of course. But let's just say hypothetically, I was going with a bunch of friends and a couple of cars to go down and do just that. So we go to the border, and I'm with my, one of my best friends and his girlfriend. I'm sitting in the back seat. We get up to the border, and uh, my friend, I guess, decided he wanted to be cool. So they asked him, so where are you going? Well, Grand Forks, maybe Fargo. We're not sure. Well, how long are you going to go for? I don't know. Maybe a couple hours. Who's to say? All right. Pull in. So they take us into the, the, this big area. Eh? We pull the car up. All right, get out of the car, open up the car doors, step up to the table, empty your pockets, and show your ID. Okay, so we're doing that. And And it was because your friend was being, like, mouthy. Like, they don't do this to everyone. Not not to everyone. It's random. So maybe it was random, but, you know, it certainly doesn't help when you don't answer the questions politely. Right. Uh So I'm, you know, already on edge, right? Because this is the first time I've ever been pulled in. Trips with families, that's never happened before. So... I, I'm pulling out my stuff, and I happen to turn... Just real quick, to, to make it clear, this is leaving to go get the illegal satellites, not coming back in correct. with them, correct? Yes, yeah, this is, okay. uh, this is U.S. Customs. Canadian Customs okay. uh-huh. be worried. Uh, right, right. But U.S. Customs, you know, they, they, don't, they don't mess around. So mm-hmm. as I put out all my stuff, I turn and I look, and there's a man and a woman in Army fatigues, and they're wearing plastic gloves. Uh. <laughs> yes, yes, that's what I thought. No, no satellite dish is worth worth being violated in my poor bum. I don't, I don't think I started crying, but I was pretty close, I have to say. So he put out all the ID, and the guy is keeps asking my my friend, you know, if you have any drugs in the car, now's the time to tell us. It'll go easier on you, and and all this stuff. He gets to me, goes, okay, so what's your name? Well, Chris Markinson. When were you born? Blah 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 blah. When were you born? Uh, April 1975, sir. When were you born? April 1975, sir. And I had a temporary license at the time, a beginner's license is what they call it. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. On the beginner's license, it said August 1975, not April. Mm-hmm. So they pulled me into the big, big room and made me sit for 20 minutes before they let me go. And uh, the guy just you know, started yelling at me that I should be checking my uh, ID, but... They're going to be nice this time and let me go, but I better not come back with this kind of idea again or they'll send me back home. All because August instead of April was on the license. And I didn't even notice it. Mm -hmm. Have you seen the movie Brazil? Yes, a long time ago. Yeah, let that be a cautionary tale about what happens when typos and bureaucracy meet. You could have ended up in a Brazil situation. Well, certainly had I done that like four years later. I exactly. Be, yeah, boy. It would have been considerably different, and they would have been using those plastic gloves. I suspect. <laughs> uh, all right. So, Chris Markinson, we could hang out and talk about Canada all day. I would love to, but 
I am intrigued that when when we decided to sit down and do a podcast at the game you said you wanted to talk about because I'm I'm kind of guessing at least half the people listening will never have even heard of it. Um, I was super surprised that you could get it on Steam, uh, and we'll talk in a minute about my attempts to replay it. But what game would you choose to talk about on a podcast, and why would you choose that game? I would choose Command HQ uh, from hmm. 1990, I believe it was released. It would have come out on MS-DOS and uh, Apple as well, Apple II, I think. Hmm. Uh, hmm. And it was the first real war game that I ever played, and it holds a special I- place in my heart. I love that game. So real quick, are you, because you mentioned the Sid Meier uh, Vietnam game, are you a, what, what ah. would be described as a war gamer? Uh, not very much. I should say, yeah, it wasn't the first war game. It, was, it would have been the second one, but it was the first one where it was like a grand scale war game, I should say, mm-hmm. whereas Sid Meier's Conflict in Vietnam was uh, much more self-contained. It was a, a small map that you would play on. But I wouldn't call myself a, a big time war gamer, at least not, not a very good warmer, war gamer, I should mm-hmm. say. I, I think you're like me in that, again, it's like what was available back then and you play it, but you have since moved on to other genres that you kind of prefer, but when that was the sort of thing available. Although, uh, so this predated Civ, right? Yeah, of course it did. Um, what, what, uh, what, what are your recollections about discovering this game as a kid? Because you must have been super young. I was I'm guessing 15? Like, okay, right, yeah. right. So you're a 15-year-old. Civilization hasn't come out yet. You're obviously a computer game dork. Uh, just like, I mean, you, you said you had an Intellivision, you had all that stuff. Uh, here is this grand strategic scale war game. Uh, a 15-year-old sits down in front of it. What do, what do you remember about discovering this? Well, you know what? I first discovered it uh, reading Computer Gaming World. And they did ah. a, I guess, they call it a replay written by Alan Emmerich, or Emmerich. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And it was a two-parter, and it... Uh, it did one of the scenarios where you can you start in a post-apocalyptic world and you can use your money to buy up allies and everything. And it's this wonderful replay that I've I read and it just blew my mind as a kid. And of course, my birthday uh, was after I started reading this, so I couldn't get the game when I wanted it, which was right away. Uh, but I just remember wanting a game so bad, so bad, and so bad. And then I finally went on a family trip that summer and I was given money to go spend in the U.S., and I think it was in a mall in Omaha that I bought uh, Command HQ. But then, of course, I'm on a vacation, so it was another four days before oh. I could get back home and play it. So I must have read the manual like 15, 20 times. Wow, yeah. It's so painful, oh. though, I can imagine. It's just awful. But like, it was, it, I'm ready for vacation to be yes, over. Can we go home yes. now? <laughs> it, it, it made finally putting it in and installing it just awesome, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess so, that anticipation. Uh, so describe the game for those who are listening now who are going, Command HQ, what? what is that? So Command HQ would be an RTS, really, a uh, real-time strategy, uh, a game that has uh, several different scenarios. One is uh, the uh, First World War scenario, which is kind of boring, I have to admit. Uh, there's not much to it, uh, very limited units, but you have the World War II scenario, and I think the, uh, plus a, a future scenario, but I think the scenario that's the the most enjoyment the one that I've played the most often is the 1986 NATO versus the Warsaw Pact countries scenario, mm-hmm. um, and essentially you've got uh, infantry, tanks, jets, subs, destroyers, aircraft carriers, nukes, satellites, and satellite killers, as well as being able to buy allies if you can, depending on how much money you have. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, and when you say it's real time, uh, but this is this is before Dune Two. Isn't Dune Two the first real time strategy game ever? Well, no, it's not. And in fact, Command HQ actually I don't think is. I think there's one or two games actually predated, but it's certainly one of the first few. But I don't think it was ever widely adopted. I don't think I think it, the right. game is a little before its time. Had uh, had Danny Bunton put it out, you know, five or ten years later with you know better graphics and everything, I think it would have been a, a hit and much more popular. I think part two is that when people think real-time strategy game, they immediately assume, like they think about RTSs that involve micro. Like, like there's not so much micro in Command HQ. It's more of a, a grand strategic level macro. It's more on, in line with like the Paradox games, yes. I think. Yeah, I think that's an excellent, of, uh, an, yeah. an excellent comparison. And it, it does, it is after, like, Herzog's Vi. Like, I think Herzog's Vi is, like, technically maybe the first RTS game, but uh, then it goes Command HQ, and then uh, Dune 2 came in and kind of set the template for a, what everybody expects an RTS to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, definitely before its time. Um, what, uh, what, what uh, is it, as, as a kid playing this, uh, what, well, let me ask you this. Do you remember, here's kind of a, Trick quite is a, a, a trivia question. Do you remember what the capital city? You, there are actually multiple capitals you're, you're supposed to capture, but do you remember what the capital city was like? The main one, what it was always called. This might be an obscure trivia question. Uh, well, I know that London was one, Moscow mm-hmm. was one, mm-hmm. and I'm assuming it's Washington. Sure, that was one. Uh, do you ever remember, for some odd reason, Little Rock being a significant city to capture? It might have had a port, if, but I don't know. I don't recall it ever having that little uh, little dot on it that made it uh, significant. Is it one of the capitals? So, uh, it, I, you know, I might I might be like thinking of my time with Modem Wars or another Danny Button thing, but I'm pretty sure it was the case in Command HQ. Uh, so so Dan Button is, was from Arkansas. Oh, okay. He uh, and the, the company that he and I think his brother and two other folks founded was called Ozark Softscape. And that's when they made uh, Mule, I think Seven Cities of Gold. Uh, Electronic Arts eventually kind of, uh, as their publisher, subsumed them. Um, but uh, D- Danny Button is from Arkansas, and he lived in Little Rock for, for a lot of his life. So I recall as, as a kid playing games like Command HQ, and maybe technically not Command HQ, but I remember playing other Dan Button games and thinking, hey, it's really cool. Here I am in Little Rock, and Little Rock is a significant city uh, in this game for some reason. Oh, that's so awesome. And then later finding out, yeah, that uh, he's wrong. Now, let's real quick talk about, because I don't, like, Dan Button became, he, he was, a, he was a, a transvestite who became a transsexual who had surgical operations to, to change his, his sex. Um, a visionary game designer, games like Mule, Mule, was Mule? No, Mule's turn-based. Um, Dan Button is a, a celebrity, but why don't we know more about Danny Button? I, Dan but- I think that, you know, like Command HQ, you could only play it multiplayer if you someone brought over their computer. Uh, you know, like you could actually network them together and play head-to-head, but this was before the Internet. This was mm-hmm. before, you know, LAN parties took off. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think it's just someone who was ahead of their time. And had they come around, you know, 10 years later with the technology that was then available, uh, they would have been a star. Well, because Command HQ really is like what Sid Meier did with Civilization, just with more detail and with more of an economic model. Like, I think all the people who dug Civilization are like, whoa, this is crack. 
they, I think they totally would have been into Command HQ as well. Uh, but it just didn't get the kind of publishing push, I guess, that Command well, HQ Well, and it, I think it had some some really cool mechanics in it. The You know, the, the NATO uh, Warsaw Pact one, it has the first... Uh, several minutes are a cold war where you're just buying up allies and and buying more troops to to load up ah. your lines and everything, get your cities ready, and then at, and then it becomes a game of chicken. When do you decide to declare war? And either side can declare war when they're ready. But sometimes you could do it when the other side isn't ready. So you mm-hmm. potentially get an advantage if you did it right away, or you might not have wanted them to declare war right away. So it was really really enjoyable. And didn't it have a pretty robust, like, naval and air oh. model, too? Like, it wasn't just scooching armies around. Like, it, it was this kind of grand strategic, comprehensive representation of combined arms warfare. Well, uh, you know what? You needed to have... Uh, you couldn't... Like, in a, in a Paradox game, you, if you're Germany and you don't want to conquer the world, you don't have to care about naval at all. In, in this game, you had to care about naval, because naval uh, invasions would happen. The, the 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 AI would do naval invasions, so you had to make sure that you had submarines, that you that you had uh, destroyers out to catch the submarines, and it was a nice paper rock scissors type thing that happened. And air power was hugely important. I don't I don't mm-hmm. think you could win the game without uh, air power. Do you remember was the victory condition always like conquer the whole world? Were they victory points? Uh, uh, what were you actually trying to do? Enemy capital. Uh, so oh right 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 right. So it was always. If you're playing the the 1986 scenario, it was always uh, easier to play as the NATO side because they had London and uh, Washington, whereas the Russians only had uh, Moscow. What? How is that fair? <laughs> yeah, definitely go for NATO. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it's, um, there, there's, I can remember rage quitting several times because my task forces coming from North America to Europe got sunk by... Uh, Submarines, because I forgot to have sufficient uh, protection for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let that be a lesson to you, Markinson. <laughs> uh, naval superiority. Oh, yes. Uh, uh, when, uh, so, so it was real-time. Did it ever feel like, a, like some of the accusations about real-time are that it's a click-fest. It takes re- reflexes. Uh, how challenging is Command HQ in that regard? I, I never g- got that sense. The one thing I did get was that if you started to micro in areas, you could leave other areas that... Uh, you could wind up losing. So you might win a war, say, in Europe, but you could lose it in the Middle East, and all of a sudden you've lost your oil. So it was mm-hmm. something where I, uh, a right-click of the mouse button uh, zooms, the, uh, zooms the, the screen in, the map in, so that you can actually see all the individual detailed units. So while you're doing that, the game continues on. So you, you'd have to sort of give your units orders, then jump to another spot, give your units orders, jump to another spot, but uh, I never felt it was a click fest at all. Are the so these were maps of the world? There was no like procedurally generated. Oh no, it was all Earth maps. all the time. Oh, I don't know what I'm thinking about with Little Rock then, because unless it was like, well, that might have been in one of the scenarios, one of the uh, post-apocalypse scenarios, because they would randomly choose two capitals, one for the red side, one for the blue side. Okay, that might be what I'm thinking of. Uh, uh, so, so it had scenarios. It was a, a real-world map. Um, sort of grand strategic, real time. Uh, I it's available on Steam. I downloaded it and was immediately confronted with, "Do you want to run this full screen or in a DOS box?" Full screen hurt my eyes. I went to the DOS <laughs> box. The whole menu selection thing—it's super antiquated. Oh, is it ever? Know. Oh my goodness! Yeah, 
Like, does it even support... Uh, it does support a mouse, though. Didn't it even back then let you drive it with well, a mouse? Well, and that was one mystery? of the big things, I think, is that it made full use of a mouse. Yeah, back in 1991, which is on an Apple II, by the way, because that's what... <laughs> I would have played it on an Apple II, uh, and that's one of the reasons I know it as well, is because you people... What, what did you say, you're on the Commodore uh, or something? Well, I would have gotten mine, I believe, on a 386SX with uh, 16 megahertz and 8 megs of RAM. Oh, MS-DOS, yeah. right, right, okay, because I, I definitely remember feen, feeling left out with my Apple II GS for the longest time, uh, but that was one of those games that I could still play on, on, on the Apple II uh, as Command HQ. Um, and by the way, the, the multiplayer aspect where you just have a serial cable connecting it, three years before, and I only know this because I looked it up, it's not like I'm super smart, but three years before Command HQ, Dan Button made a game called Modem Wars, which let you play a game kind of like Command HQ. It was uh, an earlier version of it over a modem. Like, it was literally an online game before such a thing really even existed. Uh, and I don't, I don't imagine it took off, there, but uh, that, that's a thing. Like, there was, there was online gaming three years before Command HQ. Uh, it's just another reason why it's tragic that, you know, that she was making games then and not, you know... 10 years later, because yeah. ahead of her time in so many spots. And also, like, I, I can't help but think, too, uh, Dan, and, and it's so, con- like, so Dan Button became Danny Button, and I think that's how most of us remember her and talk about her, is, is Danny Button. Uh, but she died of, of lung cancer, I think, before even hit, hitting 50, at, at a way too young age. Uh, if Danny Button were still around today, she would be, like, one of the guys, like, uh, Will Wright or Sid Meier, like she would be one of the the founding mothers of, of video gaming, uh, and it, it it would be so awesome to be able to hear from her about what it was like then, and and uh, you know how she came up with these ideas, and and maybe like I could imagine if Danny Button were still alive, like there being a Kickstarter to kickstart an upgraded version of Command HQ, oh. for instance. Like I would totally support that. That'd be awesome. Um, yeah. So what what is it like on uh, the DOS on uh, the, the Steam version? Uh, is it worth persevering through that early bit where you realize, oh my God, this is emulating MS DOS? I'm frightened. I'm leaving. Well, you know what i I played it last night after staying away from it for two weeks because mm-hmm. I'd see those menus and I thought, there's no way I can do this, and it's just gonna mm-hmm. it's just gonna hurt my memories of it. But I struggled through it, and it's it's not bad at all. It's not bad. But you know you're you don't have any of those quality of life things that you do now. Yeah. As you're playing it, do you think, oh, this this reminds me of game X, Y, or Z? Like, what would you say are the latter day, the, the modern incarnations of that kind of game? Well, I definitely see it in Hearts of Iron. Mm-hmm. Not that mm-hmm. I want to uh, talk about any of those uh, those games. Do, are you into any Paradox games? Like, it seems like someone who cut his teeth on Command HQ, might uniquely appreciate something like Europa Universalis. Oh, yes, yeah. Uh, EU3 a lot. Uh, EU4 not as much. Uh, Crusader Kings 2. And uh, all the Hearts of Irons. Did you also take from your time with Command HQ a fondness for RTSs like StarCraft and stuff? Uh, Well, Command & Conquer, but that one kind of taught me that I'm not very good at them. Right. <laughs> you sort of learn, that's a genre where you sort of learn pretty quickly your limitations, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, you know, I mean, I could get a certain point, but then it, it got to a point where, no, that's, 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 that's where I am. That's where I am. Mm-hmm. I mean, I played uh, Rise of Nations, too, and I could get mm-hmm. to a certain point, but you'd get to a certain point where they'd start nuking me, 
and then I'd get angry, and I'd start nuking them back, and then the world explodes. Yeah. <laughs> I guess you're too young to remember the Chris Crawford game, Balance of Power, uh, where you would have the nuclear war, and you would be reprimanded for it. Well, uh, it's a game industry. I wanted but never got. But you, you know, you'd see these games in magazines, and I'd, I'd want them, but it wasn't in the one or two gaming stores that we had in Winnipeg at the time. Right, right, yeah. Those are the days when you were so, like, you, you played a game, not because it was the one you chose, but because it was the one that was available, right. and you were grateful, and you liked it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so you also then don't remember, uh, like, Mule or Seven Cities of Gold, I think, is the one that was super formative for me, which also has this idea of exploring, and I think se- Seven Cities of Gold must have had procedurally generated maps, I can't imagine that it was just like a canned map of Africa or whatever. Uh, but that's the Danny Button one that, that really grabbed me as a kid. I, I remember that one very vividly. Um, yeah, I would have been a bit too know, young for that. Do you know of a game called uh, Lords, uh, I think Lords of Conquest? Does that ring any bells? It sounds familiar. So the one that I played a lot multiplayer in Hot Seat with my friends was one called Lords of Conquest, which had a basic resource model. It was kind of uh, risky. I mean, like like risk like mm-hmm. like uh, you would invade a province with your with your army, and it might be like a die roll. But I remember distinctly it also had trading, like. Like, I need one iron, I forget, I guess to buy units or something. But it had this idea, very board gamey, before really board I mean, there were board games back then, but it kind of anticipated modern, elegant board games in a way. But Lords of Conquest, with, with trading and invasion, uh, and I guess, so you don't know that game. That might have also predated Yeah, it. I mean, I remember okay. a game called Empire, I think, where you started off as one city at one side of the map, and the AI started as a... Uh, in one city on the other side of the map, and you slowly expanded and tried to kill each other. Oh my god, Chris, maybe... You know what? I might be misremembering. My memories of Command HQ might actually be thinking of Empire. Was Empire, like, real-time? I think it was turn-based. Okay. But it was the sort of thing where you would capture a city, and it would improve your income, and you yes. could build units there. Because that was kind of how Command HQ worked as well, right? Right. Well, it gave you more money and allow you to buy, but there was a, a hard limit on units for Command HQ... You could tap out and sort of be in a state where I've got enough to defend and turtle, but I don't really have enough to to launch an offensive. So you'd kind of have to take a risk somewhere and start redeploying troops. I wonder if this was a hardware limitation or like a gameplay limitation. I'm not sure, but I I actually, well, back when I was a teenager, I hated the limitation. But I I came to appreciate it uh, last night when it forced me to, to move my units out of Southeast Asia and try to throw them up to Europe to make a a rush against uh, against Moscow. So it sounds like you chose NATO, the easy mode, where you get two capitals when you played last night, correct? Yes, yes. <laughs> yes I... And how did, how's the AI? How did it do? Uh, I found it a little passive. I played, I think, on the, the, the normal difficulty, uh, just because mm-hmm. I remember getting just whooped something fierce playing on the harder difficulty when I was younger. So I figured, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm far too fragile ego-wise to play on a super hard right now. Well, and plus you're out of shape in terms of knowing your command <laughs> HQ muscle memory and unit familiarity and all of that stuff. Very true, yeah. very true. Uh, well, I'm still not... So then explain to me again. So it certainly has a historical role. It was one of your early games. But again, why would you pick this when you're asked, Chris Markinson, what video game do you want to talk about? Like, do you consider it your first? Is it one of the most important... What makes it stand out for you? It was one of the ones that I had the most excitement playing. 
Okay. Mm-hmm. See those furious defenses against all these red tanks coming and trying to hit Germany, France, and Italy. Like that was really fun. These, you know, waiting the ten turns before I could purchase another unit in in Western Europe because it wouldn't allow you to just build up once the the war started. If you bought a unit in a certain geographical area, you had to wait like 10 turns before you could buy another unit in that area. So it would force you to buy units elsewhere and then have to ship them over. So I just remember how how fun and sometimes infuriating, of course, it was when my units would get wiped out at sea because of those damn Russian submarines. But I, it was, oh, I just could waste so much time doing that. Uh, you mentioned before that when when you were a kid, one of the ways you got into gaming was that your father always had like the latest electronics and computers and whatnot. Uh, do you remember anything about whether or not your father and he actually played video games? You said. Uh, do you remember whether or not he had any reaction to Command HQ? Was oh, it something you know, he, he played only with played with me with the Intellivision. Once we got into the computers, he he pretty much stayed away from that. Did he know what he was missing out on? I, you know what, I think he came up in that generation where, you know, games were for kids, kind of thing. Right, so, right. you know, once I got to be a certain age, it's, well, I'm not, I don't have to play with my son now. You know, he's not a, he's not a child anymore. So, right, I'll leave his toys to him. Right, and exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Much to, I'm sure, you know, he probably, if he had to do it over again, he wish he wouldn't have bought uh, me quite so many games, because I probably spent a little too much time in front of the, the computer at times. But, uh, yeah, oh, it's, it was so awesome. Marcus, and you could have had, and this is something that I think guys like us should tell our parents and our wives and our siblings and our friends, our habits could be so much worse. Oh, yeah. I mean, it could, it, it could be gambling, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. <laughs> like what we do for recreation. Uh, so, uh, Marcus, what games are you playing lately? Command HQ, I, I love that you highlight something old like that that has such a storied history and a significant place. Really kind of sad that it is before its time. Um, and, uh, yeah, so coming from that, where are you these days with what kind of games you're playing? Uh, well, uh, what am I playing? You know, I, I like to play some grand strategy games. Uh, uh, stuff that moves a bit slower at times for me. Uh, do you have a sense for... Uh, so I haven't followed any of the press for it, but do you have a sense or any excitement? I just, in fact, realized today that it's out in, like, th- three weeks... Do you know what I'm talking about? Like, do you know what strategy game that you might be excited about comes out in three weeks? No. What? Uh... So, so Civilization Six. I didn't realize it was it's so coming out that soon. Well, yeah, I assume this was like a 2017 uh, release. Yeah, yeah. So you're like me in that you also haven't, I guess, been following the press. But uh, is that something you're excited about? A Civ Six? Uh, I remember my dad renting Civ One, going to his office photocopying the manual, all like 200 pages of it, uh, and then I pirated the game and spent, again, hours and hours and hours playing it. I, Wait, did your dad also play it, or he was doing that for just you? Just doing it for me. Okay, okay, because I was about to say, no, your dad is busted. He was totally, if he did that, he was nope, totally nope, into nope, it. Okay. Well, he's a, a really generous soul. Very generous. Okay, very cool. Uh, so then, does, does this mean... Okay, let me ask you another important question, Chris Markinson, and I want you to think very carefully about your answer, because I make no bones about the fact that I will be judging you. <laughs> Chris Markinson, Civilization 4 or Civilization 5? Civ 4. Very good. You got the correct answer. <laughs> well, I mean, Leonard Nimoy did the voice. You know that is. They're just so. That's just one of so many 
pros for Civ Four. You're right. I forgot and about Civ that. Civ Four yeah. also like it kicked my butt a lot of times, but it was fun getting my butt kicked kind of thing because you know it would be I, I I'm always passive, right? I I don't want to start the wars or everything, but the war would come to you sometimes, and you know you, these desperate last ditch defenses as everything starts shrinking and shrinking and shrinking and very fun it's one of the few games where it was fun to lose yeah yeah and i i think that's a big design philosophy difference between civ 4 uh after which soren johnson left and uh, sort of a new generation at Firaxis took over and civ 5 and and i i was just kidding about judging you but it's just i'm i'm very clearly a civ 4 guy as well for some of the same reasons that you mentioned but i think civ 5 caters to people who just want to be more passive and just play it kind of like a city builder. Well, I can win oh. in Civ 5. Civ 4, it's almost impossible if I play on any level of difficulty where you actually get challenged. Right, and if you don't give yourself some sort of advantage. Right. Yeah, there, there are definitely tricks you have to know if you're going to play and prevail in a fair, even game of Civ 4. Yes, yeah. and I'm terrible at min-maxing that stuff. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Uh, but I, 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 yeah, Civ 4 is awesome. Although... If I had a choice between a Civ Four and Alpha Centauri, I'd be choosing Alpha Centauri. I'm not sure. Oh man, I'm glad you didn't ask me what I would do in that case. That's tough, Chris. That's a tough one. Yeah, I don't think I. I'd, if if I were, I would. I would just flat out decline. That's a Sophie's choice right there. <laughs> I would just decline to answer. Yeah, I think Alpha Centauri by a little bit, by a little bit, and. Yeah, and I believe. I think you just like you. I have one of those Alpha Centauri maps. Oh yes, aren't those awesome? Yes, they yeah. are. Oh, quit bringing me around to Alpha Centauri. <laughs> quit. <laughs> no, I think you made me blow a fuse. Actually, pondering which would I pick. <laughs> yeah, so we're gonna have to change topics. What else besides uh, strategy games are you into? Uh, well, those are the big things. Let me take a quick peek. Uh, well, I mean, after watching your streaming, uh, Total War Warhammer. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's still a strategy game, though, yep. but yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Rebuild right. 3, which I guess is actually a strategy game. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, I have Oxen but, 3, but I haven't started it yet. Okay. Let's get down to brass tacks, Chris Markinson. What MMOs have you played in your life? I believe I was part of the beta for Asheron's Call. And you stopped there? Yeah. Good on you. You, you made the right call, Markinson. Very good. <laughs> That's one thing that I just... You know what? Because I know that I can't put the time into it. Because I'd want to yep. be really good, and I don't think you can be really good if you're not willing to, you know, put in a couple hours every day on that to make sure that you're up to date and you don't forget things either. Let me tell you, Markinson, a dirty little secret about MMOs that you clearly don't know, and uh, this, this will help you to know this. There is no such thing about being really good in MMOs. There is only how much time you have spent with them. Uh, there is nothing like in... It's, there, there's no cerebral puzzle stuff like in a strategy game where you learn a system and you master it and you get better at it. An MMO is designed exclusively to, to have you pour time into it. And that's necessarily a bad thing. It's a viable way to design a game, but you're not missing out. This idea that you have to get really good, nope, doesn't exist. It's just a matter of how much time you've spent with it, which gets to your point, though, by the way, that it requires a lot of time, and it will accept as much time as you can throw at it. What's also great, I feel this way about sports. I don't know anything about sports. I don't follow sports. I couldn't tell you the New York Jets from the Chicago Yankees or whatever. Uh, 
And I, I am grateful for that because it leaves space in my time and in my brain for, for me to be super obsessive about other things like movies, like video games, like politics. Uh, so you not playing an MMO, I'm a, I'm a little jealous. I would be able to devote that time and that brain space, that hard drive space. Guild Wars 2, something like a 30 gigabyte install, I would be able to use that in uh, other places. And you clearly don't have that issue. Oh, one other game that I spent a fair amount of time, Sid Meier's Pirates. Oh, well, there you go. The, now, the original or well, the... I had the original on my Commodore, uh, which actually had that nice fold-out map that you could open up and start plotting things and everything. But I'm just talking about the one you can get off of Steam. Yeah. How did you feel about the dancing? Oh, why? Why? Really? You, you're anti-dancing? I, well, I, I could get good at it after a while, but it just did... All the time, there's too much dancing. I don't think there's any such thing as too much dancing, Chris Markinson. I don't know what you're on about. Uh, do, do you know, uh, uh, were you ever into the ra- Railroad Tycoon with Sid Meier? Yes, it was, it? yeah. Why am I confusing it with Bruce Shelley? Oh, well, I guess well, later on. on it as well. And uh, Phil, I forget Phil's last name, but yeah, right, the later iterations, I think, moved away from my Firaxis, maybe. But yeah, so were you a Railroad Tycoon guy? Uh, yes, uh, not to any extent that I was with uh, Pirates, of course. But right, uh, right. but yeah, no, I, I very much, or, or with Civilization, either. But yeah, right. uh, for me, Railroad Tycoon would have been like third or fourth place in the Sid Meier uh, uh, oeuvre. I was wondering if you are going to use the word oeuvre. You, <laughs> very good. <laughs> uh, you, you know what game Pirates, like, if... Uh, like Pirates, I, I'm sure the, the remake holds up great. Uh, I didn't realize it's available on Steam, you're saying, yeah. right? What, do you remember offhand? Like, Have, we, have you like looked at it in the last, I don't know, year or so? Has it been a long time recently? Have you tried uh, it? March of this year. Okay, so it's got, it holds up, you're saying, yeah, basically. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. Even though you're not, you're, you don't, you're not capable of appreciating the dancing, apparently. Well, not as but, much uh, as some folks. Not as much as some folks, okay. obviously. How is the, let me actually ask you real quick. How is the dancing any different from like the sword fighting? Well, it, it's just it's a bit quicker. And it, the sword fighting is easy. I'm clicking, one, I'm clicking up, clicking down, clicking middle. Whereas the dancing, I'm actually having to work for it. I guess, is there rhythm involved in the dancing? Well, I just, forget. I just, you're looking at the way her hand is. Like if you play on any difficulty... Other than beginner, uh, uh, you have to look at the way her hand is, and that'll give you the uh, tell you which uh, which move she's going to do. Well, how hard can that be? What's your problem? <laughs> you just look at her hand. Tom, I'm not very smart. <laughs> and, you, figure out the four things that her hand will do, and just press the button. I, I recall the challenge though being that it did have a real finicky timing element, and you got to hit it just right. It, yeah, and if you hit it, yeah, yeah. if you hit it really right, you start building up hearts, which uh, increases her affection for you. There, you, that, that you, you're smart. You figured it out, Chris Markinson. Everything you said, you should be capable of doing <laughs> doing the dancing just fine. I, I think part of it too is uh, it, it's not a traditional video gaming pursuit. Like it, it, you know, I'm playing this heroic pirate. You know, did Errol Flynn ever have to master dancing? Actually, maybe he did in some pirate movie. I don't know. This was before my time. But it's not what we think of when we think of the cool things that pirates get to do. Well, it, you know, there. Yeah, it yeah. is different, right? Because it's you know, you're 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 taking over ships. You're 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 plundering cities. You're doing you know turn-based combat when you're trying yeah. to attack a city, and then all of a sudden you're doing dancing. Yep, and I good. 
good on Sid Meier for mixing it up and, and adding something unique and different that is not a boy boy, but a kind of an almost girly girl pursuit. I I loved the, how different that I, was. Throwing that into the mix. I like that yeah. they did it. I don't necessarily enjoy it as much. Is what I can say. So I can appreciate that is cool that they throw something like that in. It's just something that doesn't appeal to me quite so much. Chris Marcus, I'm going to ask you another thing that's going to involve a little bit of self-confession on my part, but I'm not ashamed. Did you ever play the DDR games like Dance Dance Revolution? In the arcade, but I have no rhythm. Whoa, in public in front of people? Well, no, 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 no. In public, but, you know, when no one's around. Okay, well, still, someone could see you if you do it in an arcade. If you do it in the privacy of your own home, you can make sure the blinds are drawn (laughs) and the doors are locked. Um I used to love Dance Dance Revolution. That might be why I'm into uh, I used to do step aerobics classes. I don't even think they still have those anymore. But uh, step aerobics is really like LARPing the <laughs> dance bits in, in uh, Sid Meier's Pirates. So, and that awesome. was before Sid Meier's Pirates. That is yeah, awesome. So. Yeah, so I, I think that's why I have a weird predilection for the dancing. Have you heard of a game called Oh Shoot? Oh, it's something, something of the necrypto-mancer. It's that, it's that roguelike where you... It's a dance game. It's a rhythm game. Do you know what I'm talking about? No. Something, something, something of the necro-dancer. Oh, maybe Crypt of the Necro-dancer. Crypt of the Necro-dancer? Uh, I think that's what it's called. Something like that. But it's a roguelike where instead of fussing with, oh, what kind of sword do I have? And how many potions do I have? I mean, that stuff is in there. But the way you interface with the game is playing a rhythm game. Um, it's basically a, a DDR meets roguelike oh, thing. Interesting. And I also just saw, and I love this story, and I, thought, I saw on Steam today, a game came out called uh, Metronomicon. It had some name like that that I think was trying to marry the word uh, metronome and uh, necronomicon. But it's a, it's a dungeon crawl. It looked like a dungeon crawl RPG where instead of choosing attacks and whatnot, you're playing a rhythm game, oh, like a dance game. Metronomicon. Uh, yeah, and I bet... Uh, Markinson, it would make you better at the dancing in uh, Sid Meier's Pirates if you ever needed it practice. It certainly looks, looks colorful. Oh, so you can see yes. it. Yeah, yeah. It looks like it's crazy like a splash of disco colors. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> so, there you go. Uh, so, okay, so you're as surprised as I am about Civ Six. Uh, anything coming up that you're super looking forward to? Well, I guess that now. Um, you know, I, I've pretty much been... One of the things I've been using to find... Uh, new games is um, I have a friend who streams uh, three times a week, uh, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. What's this guy's name? Uh, he sounds like a real dork. Yeah, his name, I believe, is Tom Chick. Uh-huh. And he uh, and- he does a whole bunch of streams. Actually, he does more than just uh, streaming Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, if I recall. He also does uh, Rise of Nations streaming with a certain Jason McMaster. When I get off of this phone call with you today, I'm a meeting McMaster to kick his ass again at Rise of Nations. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And there's also a Tom and Bruce online. Yes, yes, I'm doing one of those. Yeah, yep. It's where and and that's not really uh, that's not really us gaming. I so here I'll share this with with you uh, and even a few of the listeners. I don't mind this. Uh, Bruce Garrick is a very busy fellow, and a lot of his gaming time is spent playing things that have a map on a table with hexes and 500 chits <laughs> and a rule book full of paragraphs and subparagraphs and many, many pages. And that's where he spends a lot of his leisure time. And I don't, that's fine. So every now and then, when uh, Mr. Bruce Garrick and I get together to try to play a video game, the 
poor guy is helpless. He's entirely <laughs> helpless. He has no idea what he's doing or how to drive or how to shoot. Or It's almost like putting your mom in front of a first-person shooter and she can't figure out the mouse. Like It's kind of like that, so I feel awful for him. So what we started doing is we just hang out in a game where Bruce doesn't even have to play it. And I think what we're going to do from now on is he's just going to sit in a car while I drive around and we just talk. So that's going to be the... Uh, and, and, and he can do that. Like He's good enough to figure out Walk up to the car, press F, to get into the car. I think you have Wait to tell until... him to press F, though, Tom. Right, right, right. He needs some help, but he can do it. He's capable of doing it on his own with a little verbal coaching. And he knows, you know, don't quit out of the game until we're done. He, he's figured out these things, and he's good enough at them that, yeah, we're, we're doing those videos as, as well. Uh, so uh, from the streaming, is there anything that I have uh, either hooked you on or that you've picked up and thought, ew, I don't like this? Uh, well, uh, there was Escape, that little car game where you're running over zombies. Oh, yeah, yeah. I remember you kicking my ass in the score of that and me thinking, I'm done with this. Solid. <laughs> that, right. Uh, Total yeah, War yeah. Warhammer, uh, XCOM 2. All right. XCOM yep, 2 yep. was uh, really enjoyable, and those playthroughs were awesome. And I will say, XCOM 2, Civilization 5, I really didn't care for, and it makes me think, okay, maybe I'm not into what they're doing with the Civ series. But the fact that this is Firaxis, who did XCOM 2, although I know they're different teams, that makes me really want to see, okay, what are you guys going to do with Civ 6? It's like, it's like a director, even if you're not crazy about his cast or what the movie's about, you're like, well, I want to see what you're doing. So XCOM 2, just because of its utter brilliance, I think, one of the reasons I am willing to to be eager a little bit about Civ uh, Six, yeah. Well, uh, Rebuild Three after your stream. Yep, yep, that's a great. That game. was very enjoyable. Yeah. And from all your writing on the front page, Pinball FX Two. Do you know they just? I love that this was concurrent with the debates here. They just released a table, two tables themed on uh, chick superheroes. No, like really? a, like yeah, yeah. It's like a, it's something. It has this great name that I love. How this would make. Uh, like Gamersgate Yahoo's angry. It's called something like the Strong Women of Marvel, or it has some like really on the nose name that's saying, "Hey, dumbasses, there's really cool chicks in in comic books." Like <laughs> that's the equivalent of it. But it's like based on. I mean, I don't know comic books well enough, but anyway, their latest tables are definitely like pro woman. You know, awesome. these are yeah. So I, I do love that they've done that. And Don't Starve. That was another game that you would uh, the Don't Starve Shipwreck. Uh. Yeah. See, that, there, you can't. You can't have. You don't have time for an MMO if you're playing any of those survival mm-hmm. games. By the way. Although I'm not. Yeah. Uh, I'm not to the point like uh, uh, Fire is or Alexandra is with her son with, uh, with right. Don't Starve, where they're going through seasons. For goodness sakes. Yeah, I, I would have had no idea there were seasons in Don't Starve if I hadn't been told. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, how do you feel about things like Battlefield One, Titanfall Two, Gears Four, Call of Duty Infinite Warfare? What, where where do shooters fall? Uh, they really don't like. I I remember having a lot of fun playing Doom in that and uh, an Unreal Tournament and uh, Half Life Two. But uh, after that, I've kind of shied away from it. I'm not not good with the twitchy stuff. Right, and that that's where you definitely that that's one of those genres where you definitely see signs of aging. Well, and it's also <laughs> like, fairly toxic, too. Oh my god, yeah, like yeah, Like, if yeah, you're playing yeah. any sort of multiplayer where you're not just playing with friends, it's yeah. uh, pretty horrific at times. Yeah, I mean, I, it, it really makes me appreciate... Uh, what was I playing recently that had no chat in it? Actually, a lot of things. Like, I, I streamed that this 
free-to-play card game yesterday and had no chatting, like no way to communicate with anyone. At first I was like, well, I can't say good game to this guy, but then I realized, oh, well, the trade-off is, you know, there's nobody to call me like a fag or something. <laughs> like, I, yeah, uh, yeah. so, and that, that's why, I, that's one of the things I really appreciate about things like Battlefield 1, is EA makes them, uh, and it makes it easy to avoid that sort of toxicity. Like, you can just jump into those games and pretend they're bots. Unfortunately, they're bots set on super hard, uh, and not really have to interact with any any real world people because I have, I have no desire to play multiplayer with people I don't know, uh, and by no I mean like somebody just that I've talked to online or, or or at least I know of in an, an online community or whatever. Uh, but multiplayer gaming with strangers has zero interest for for me. Well, and the problem and I guess with EA for most of it, except for Plants vs Zombies too, is that sometimes they don't allow you to have all the toys if you're playing single player by yourself. Ah, oh, right, right. Yeah, well, yeah, not just EA, but yeah, everyone does that. That's, yeah, that's such an annoying thing. Yeah, so. All right, well, Markinson, uh, what, uh, you're also a movie nerd. Uh, we routinely will do our top ten movies of, of any given years. What kind of movies would be on your list for, uh, like, top tens for you? And not necessarily number one, but what sorts of movies would you consider? Uh, and actually, this, this might be putting you on the spot. Do you have a number one so far this year? Because I, I don't think I could answer that, by the way. Number one this year? Um, shoot. It would have been uh, something early on in the year, I believe, that I would have And chosen. I ask you this because, uh, I think we mentioned it before we recorded, you're, you're a huge movie nerd like, like I am, uh, and it's only in the last few years. Like, you didn't grow up that way, but you've become a huge movie nerd. You mentioned you pretty much saw a movie a week last year. You're on par for... to break that number this year so as someone who's seen a lot of movies yeah so you're saying something oh, early uh, in the year the witch that was ah. my top 10 for this year it really is odd how things like green room and the witch are oh, like, in like green room of course yeah like the superior like, like horror is normally a crap genre and maybe you get something decent like you know eh, paranormal activity too wasn't horrible or eh, babadook was really cool but yeah witch and green room definitely contenders for top five aren't they just amazing work well and, and uh, witch has one of kelly wan's uh best lines what is one of kelly wan's best lines? yeah oh heigl takes the baby out into the forest to play hide and seek the baby <laughs> wins <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kelly Wan, I mean, that's, that's talk about an embarrassment of riches, trying to find a best Kelly Wan line, though. Well, yeah, you, and there's been some bad the, movies, but some incredible Kelly Wan voices this year. I, I, nobody makes me happy to see a movie I hate more than Kelly Wan. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Ben Foster. <laughs> <laughs> Who'd have thought that a Ben Foster impression was a thing? Oh, and his, so if you're listening, Goldblum? Yeah, go ahead. Oh, his Goldblum was incredible. I think I need to hear more, like, select lines from the fly to really appreciate his gold boom, I, I feel. I once, good Lord, I remember this. So I remember uh, being an actor in Los Angeles. You run into all kinds of, like, jerks and dopes and people trying to take advantage of you. And uh, so it, during my brief stint here as an actor, I once was getting my headshots taken. That's another thing. When you're an actor, you have to have your headshot and you give it to talent agents and whatnot. Uh, I remember getting my headshot taken by uh, just a guy who advertises the services of a photographer and he's basically bilking money for people overcharging, but you know, wannabe actors will pay. So I got my headshots taken by this guy and I remember going to pick them up. And I was with a friend of mine who's also an actor who'd been here a little bit longer. And I went to pick them up and I was talking to the photographer guy about, yeah, this is a good one. I want prints of these. And, and at one point, he's like, wait a minute. Stop. Stop. Say that again. 
and I said something about, uh, I think I want this print. And he's like, oh, one more time. And I said what I'd said. And he's like, you know who you sound like. And I was like, no, I don't. He says, you sound just like Jeff Goldblum, which I had never heard before. And I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. And I liked this guy a lot more. And when we left, my friend who I was with was like, that guy was just bullshitting you. You do not sound like <laughs> Jeff Goldblum. He just is thinking of things to say to flatter the actors who he gets to pay uh. him for their and just having the wind yeah he could have let you at least have an hour with that right yeah yeah right well i kind of was like mad at my friend i was like yeah. dude why did you have to tell me that I, you don't have to like <laughs> knock me down a peg like that i was enjoying this <laughs> so. oh so tom um sir in october something's happening on the front page there's going to be uh what you can't get yes. into probably but uh there's going to be some contest uh, being posted up there with uh, one of our forum members. I don't mind doing it because by the time this post will be mere hours away from, from us announcing it. So here's a little sneak peek. I don't think Hornbossel would mind. But, but Hornbossel, Chris Hornbossel, uh one of the, the fellows at the, at the Quarter 3 community, he's been a contributor to the site for a long time. Uh, he, he just loves this idea of, hey, let's talk about horror stuff during Halloween. And in the past, we've talked about movies. So what we're going to do this year is that same thing for everything but movies. <laughs> Uh, and we're just going to introduce a different category uh, each week, and then each day of each week, we're going to pick. We're each going to pick one thing in that category. So we're going to be recommending ten things in distinct categories. And some of these you can imagine. Like the first one is going to be uh, games, and that's nothing new. But we're going to get increasingly obscure. And the idea with these recommendations isn't, hey, these are the top ten, but. These are things that we think are really cool that you might have missed, and here's why we recommend them. So, uh, yeah, once a day, we're each going to come up with two recommendations, and they will be in increasingly esoteric and uncharacteristic categories. <laughs> and I had a great time uh, sitting down talking with them about, okay, let's pick these. You take this one. I'll take that one. No, I kind of want this one. I'll trade you this one for that one, and sort of assigning what we're, uh, what we're talking about. So, yeah, that'll be starting tomorrow uh, for those of you listening to this the, the day it goes up. That is yeah. awesome. Now, what is Kelly Wand Fan Club? I don't know, and I thought it was – we are pretty sure – we have strong suspicions that it is you, Chris Markinson. Nope. I don't know for sure. I will tell you right now, that is not me. Do you promise? Okay. I Whatever I could you say can- to let you know that I am – on the level that I am not lying, that is not okay. me. What, what Chris Markinson is talking about is there is a Twitter account, and I don't know why I find it hilarious and not just in a, in a solipsistic way because it's about our podcast, but the guy just has a great sense of humor. He's really good at, at kind of making fun of us, making fun of ourselves, and referencing things we say. If you enjoy the movie podcast, you really should be following at KellyWand69, which he titles it the Kelly Wand Fan Club. We don't know who it is. But it's someone who enjoys the podcast. It's someone we really appreciate what they do for the podcast, very much like you, Markinson. So for a long time, we were kind of thinking, maybe that's Markinson. So if you are holding your, your hand behind your back with your fingers crossed, Markinson, totally okay oh, with us. No, no, it's not <laughs> me. Right. Like, I, I, was very, I didn't even know about it until you mentioned it on one of the podcasts. Yeah, that, whoever it is, it's pretty funny stuff. Uh, oh, which actually makes me... Did you send me a book for my birthday? I don't know what you're talking about. A book? The way you, the way you say that doesn't make me think you're, dis- you're distancing yourself the way you're distancing yourself from that Twitter account. Someone sent me a copy of a book that I think was an inside joke, and I, it only about occurred trains? to me later on. 
was it? Oh, Chris Markinson, you're so weird. That's so obscure. <laughs> Why would you know? Yeah. Oh, good lord. <laughs> okay, so Chris Markinson sent me a great, uh, an anonymous gift for my birthday that I'm just now finding out that that was Chris Markinson. Interesting. Do you read much, by the way? Are you into books? Um, you know what? I used to be super into books. I'm trying to get back into it a bit. Uh, so before we go, tell me a book that has meant a lot to you growing up. You know, like a, not a Desert Island book. That's a little trite. But, but what's just a book that was really formative to you? Uh, well, the first Gunslinger uh, novel by Stephen King. That would have uh, been Markinson, uh, Are you serious? Uh, I'm, I'm super – I don't mean well, to be a it, joke. I'm super dismissive it, of Stephen King when I shouldn't well, you know be. What, it, was, uh, it was that and the first uh, Jason Bourne novel from Robert Ludlum. Uh, mostly because oh. those were uh, paperbacks that my mom had, and mm-hmm. I guess I would have been thirteen or so reading them, and it just, it, it I just, it just seemed kind of cool to me that I was reading books that she had read, so they right. just meant a bit more to me. I mean, they were like sort of like like uh, like big boy pants kind of yeah, that you get to put on. Yeah, in a yeah, sense sure. like that. I mean, I've read a, I, far too many Dragonlance novels and Star Trek novels. Ooh. Uh, Ooh, stuff like that. Uh, but yeah, those those would be ones that actually you know made a, an impact on me. Right. Uh, what what is gun? Isn't gunslinger like constantly bandied about as like something that's being optioned for movies and in pre production and gets dropped and it, like isn't that or maybe a TV series? Yeah, Do you well, know? Offhand? I thought it was going to be like a TV series and uh, uh, and movies a combined, but. Uh, Idris Elba is apparently going to be in it, and I like Idris Elba. Oh. As like a titular role, like is it about I, one I, gunslinger guy? Well, it? yeah, and I think he's going to be the gunslinger, which is really cool because in the books the gunslinger is white, and it's cool to see them showing some diversity on stuff like this. Sure. Uh, one of the uh, what, what? So is gunslinger? It, it's like a fantasy western sci-fi thing. Yeah, I would say it's, it's gun- like all three of those things. It's sort of in this world, the world has fallen, I guess, and. The gunslinger is trying to reach the dark tower, which uh, which I've never actually finished the series. I have to admit, I've gotten about four books out of the eight in. To oh, is the series called Dark Tower? Or uh, yes, uh, the Dark Tower, I believe, is the series. Okay, I do know what this is, right? I mean, I do, and, and Gunslinger is like the first book yes. in it. Okay, I get it now. Right, right. Why didn't you finish the series? Um, you know what? It's just one of those things where. I think it was probably around 19 or 20, just other things started uh, being more important. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of left it. Uh, but now I'm trying to get back into reading. Uh, I don't even have a book in front of me, but uh, I read The Martian a couple of times because I really liked that sort of disaster porn and trying to figure out all that stuff. Yeah, that's a super fun read, yeah. Um uh, I, I will submit to you, I will suggest one reason that maybe you didn't continue with Gunslinger, and this is one of my problems with Stephen King, and his son, by the way. At, at a certain point, I think Stephen King became so successful that he didn't need or avail himself of an editor. Just whatever he wrote got drawn out. Like it was just, he's a very industrious fellow. Uh, I know a lot of people cite his book on writing as a great resource for aspiring novelists, but I. I I think things like The Stand and perhaps this Gunslinger thing really could have benefited from uh, tighter editing. So I think it's relatively easy for folks to maybe peter out on it. And I don't know, maybe I'm just projecting on you, but I think that's one of the reasons that uh, I don't keep up with a lot of Well, Stephen he tends King. to be fairly verbose, that's for sure. He's not writing small yeah. books. Yeah. Now, I did, I did recently reread, by the way, some of his short stories and kind of enjoyed them. 
the uh, night shift. Like okay, they're, yeah. Uh, yeah, and I, I think some of those, yeah, I, I read those, and I'm like, yeah, okay, I remember now why people are really into <laughs> Stephen King. Yeah, yeah. I hear, I hear he's a heck of a director. Oh, Markinson. Oh, talk about the wind out of your sails. <laughs> Who? What's the What's the least terrible adaptation of Stephen King? Oh. Oh, uh, well, actually, that's easy, but it's not because it's good. It's just because it was the first time I ever heard the song Golden Years by David Bowie. Uh, Stephen King wrote, I guess, this TV miniseries, uh, sort of like I think it's a cocoon thing where uh, this old senior guy starts getting younger and younger and younger. Ew. Back and that, when, like, it was like a TV show? Yeah, it was, it was like a TV miniseries back when they had those kind of things. You know, it was some big thing, Stephen King's Golden Years. But it had the David Bowie Golden Years song at the start of it, and I really liked that song. Now, can I make you maybe feel a little silly? Because I think most people would probably pick things that it's easy to forget. Oh, yeah, this is from Stephen King, like uh, Stand By Me or Shawshank Redemption. Um, I have never I seen Shawshank Redemption. A lot of people would reprimand you. I'm not one of them. I've seen Stand By Me. I love Stand By Me, but uh, not yeah. Shawshank Redemption. Have you seen Green Mile? Because if so, you're covered. I've seen pieces of it, but I've never seen yeah. the entire movie from start to finish. Yeah, uh, heartwarming movies about prison by Frank Darabont based on Stephen King things. Green Mile, Shawshank Redemption, either way, are good. And I, I love that right now maybe there are people yelling at this podcast <laughs> uh, because Shawshank Redemption is much beloved by a lot of folks. I would actually – have you seen Misery, the James Bond? Oh, Kathy yes, Bates? yes. Very enjoyable. I think Misery – yeah, I think Misery is a pretty cool ad- adaptation, largely because of the actors and just kind of how outrageous the premise is uh, and how much fun Kathy Bates seems to be having. Well, she seems to uh, just be loving it, eh? Like every moment. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So maybe I would pick Misery. Uh, the Stand, which I think less of – I'm not sorry, The Stand. Uh, the Shining, which I think of less as a Stephen King adaptation and more of as something that Kubrick just went off and did. Uh, like, The Shining is brilliant, but I don't think for its adaptation of, of a Stephen King story. Oh, yeah. Um, no, uh, although for Kubrick, I would think it would – my favorite Kubrick would be – Probably Doctor Strangelove and then 2001. That, yeah, yeah, that's a tough one, though, too. Uh, so I have to read, not oh. read, I have to watch uh, Barry Lyndon recently. Now, have you seen Barry Lyndon? Do you know no, that? No, I haven't, but why do you have to do that, Tom? Oh, so on Patreon, <laughs> thank you so much, Chris Markinson. Uh, on Patreon, if you support me for uh, $10 or more, once a month you get to vote for something that I'm going to review, and the winner of this recent month is... Uh, a movie called Barry Lyndon, and you can pick a movie or a book or whatever. So I haven't seen Barry Lyndon so, since I was a kid. Uh, I have, as I've gotten older, by the way, definitely come to appreciate Kubrick movies, even the ones that I don't, that I didn't necessarily like. So I'm super looking forward to watching all, I don't know, four or five hours of Barry Lyndon. <laughs> I understand that it's long and slow. Now, for those uh, folks who are uh, on your Patreon who are donating less than $10. There are game giveaways, yes? Yeah, every Friday, or every, every week, I'll be giving away a free game, many of which, Markinson, you've been kind enough to donate. Uh, but if you support me at patreon.com slash tomchick, you can win free games, just so you know. So you'll get, you'll get your money back there. Uh, finally, Chris Markinson, one more thing, then I'm going to let you go. Uh, what TV, if any, do you watch? Uh, well, uh, Dingus would know I watch Seinfeld still quite often. Uh, that's been dead. That's that show is over. Markinson, let go of it. It's done. It's over. Uh, well, right now I'm going through Mr. Robot. 
Oh, yeah, yeah. How is season two? Without spoiling. So I, I really liked how season one wound up, but it had so much of it I wasn't super crazy about, so I didn't pick up season two. Did I, did I miss anything? How do you feel about season two? I, I don't enjoy it as much as I enjoyed season one. Okay. Um, but maybe that's because I sort of saw Fight Club coming, but I didn't know it until right till the end there. It really wasn't that coy about it. I mean, it was so overt about it, wasn't it? Like, it, it, it's one of those things where I wonder if, if they thought it was a surprise or more of a confirmation of, yep, this is what we've been doing. Well, and even uh, going so far as to having uh, Where Is My Mind playing right, at the yeah. end of the final episode of the season. So are you not liking how they're playing with it in season two? Uh, is it even figuring prominently into season two? Well, you know, I, they seem to have kind of gotten away with, from it. At least, uh, okay. you know, but apparently there's a a comic book where uh, Chuck Palahniuk has done a sequel to Fight Club, and but I don't know anything about that, so I'm not sure what would happen after you reset the world. So this is sort of telling the story of what's happened after the apocalypse kind of thing. And Season two of Mr. Robot is? Yes, like after, you know, because oh, they, they got rid of yeah. uh, E-Corp, or they, they reset, got rid of everyone's money from E-Corp, right? So this is sort of the fallout of that and and what's going on. I guess I'm so accustomed to TV's whole, like, reset to zero or slowly dole out things that, that I forgot. Yeah, that's how it did. That That is what was clearly implied with the finale last mm-hmm. season. Now you're making me curious to take it up. All right. I mean, it still does uh, that uh, framing that you don't like, where the oh, actor takes Lord. up uh, one-third of the uh, screen and it's the rest is yeah. just scenery. And they're looking off screen. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Boy, they love that shot composition, don't they? Right. Well, and you know what? And I didn't notice it until you mentioned it in the forums, and then you can't get away from it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the the challenge there is to think, okay, why is he doing it this time? <laughs> <laughs> like, wait, wait. Now, Tom, there's one other thing I wanted to ask you. Yes, sir. Now, you do almost all of your writing at quarter2three.com, but yes, sir. you've written a couple pieces elsewhere recently. I have. If you go to, and this is a, a friend of mine who got a job at Gawker, who, uh, a friend of mine is named Tony Carnival. He's contributed also to the front page. Tony Carnival is, I think, one of the, as far as the people I know, he's right up there with Kelly Wand as someone who I think is a, a brilliant writer. Uh, and he took a job at Gawker <laughs> doing branded content. He is doing some, some gaming coverage, which I really think is cool, and I hope he does more of that. But I've made fun of him for basically being a writer for advertising. And branded content's a little different than, like, copywriting ads. Um, But he then, after I wrote a couple of articles for a site uh, called uh, Folks, which is uh, branded content for a company called PillPack, he then sent me an email saying, ha-ha, look who's writing branded content now. And all it means is it's a site that has editorial, but it is sponsored by a company. So technically, yeah, I guess I'm doing quote-unquote, branded content. Uh, but I've been doing articles there. Uh, I did a profile of a close friend of mine named Jeff Pennard, who has a frog uh, swamp that he's been building in his backyard. They just, I just am wrapping this up, they just had me write an article about uh, the way cancer is portrayed in movies, because that was something that I, that I struggled with. I had a diagnosis a couple of years ago that I've come through. And this, this site that PillPack sponsored, it's called Folks, uh, is basically about health issues and, and people, how they deal with them and perceive them. So I've got an article coming up there about cancer in movies, which I really loved writing. Uh, although it, gave, it, 
Chris Markinson, I watch things like Beaches. <laughs> the last time I saw Beaches. Oh, so geez, a long that, time ago. Yeah, that doesn't hold up. Uh, so, yeah, some of the research for that. But, you know. Well, you get to watch just, Wild again if you wanted to. What's Wild again? No, Wild. Oh, well, wild. Oh, I guess, yes. yes. Right. <laughs> right, right. Sure. You know, I, I kind of want to read uh, Cheryl Strayed. Well, I forget yeah, what her name that's was. Her name. Uh, yeah, I, it's sort of, I feel like I should read stuff she's written since I enjoyed that movie so much. My sister yeah. said it's a really good book, but I haven't read it either. Hmm. I wonder if there are, uh, yeah, yeah, so I, has she written more than one, or is she like one of those, hey, here are my memoirs, now I'm just going to go be famous? My sister also said she did a, used to do an advice column. Ew, okay. <laughs> wow. But it was That's sort of a... like, not like Ann Landers or anything like that, where it's actually giving you actual help, not not trying to play to the crowd or anything like that. All right. You know what? At least she's not writing branded content for some <laughs> corporation. Don't give her that. Chris Markinson, I've really enjoyed finally getting to meet you and hang out with you. I feel like I've known you forever. Now I kind of officially know you. Uh, it was great hanging out. Thank you so much for being here today. Well, thank you for having me, Tom. This was awesome. Arkansas, Arkansas, I just live old Arkansas. I'd like to see the world and all and take a run through Arkansas.